our God loves to challenge us. He loves to put us in situations that challenge our attitudes and help us to grow. And sometimes in my life, he does this in direct response to something I've been preaching about. In the weeks following a message, God periodically will bring about circumstances to make sure that I actually practice what I preach. And that recently happened. And it happened in a way that affected me, and it happened in a way that affected us in our life together. Here's what happened two weeks ago. I spoke about the importance of trusting God when we pray, and sometimes his answer is no. That was on a Sunday. The very next Friday, I got really sick. I got this horrible head cold that plugged my inner ears, it destroyed my sense of balance, and I had awful vertigo. I was flat on my back and couldn't get up. And so I prayed and asked God to heal me. I wanted to be healed because nobody enjoys vertigo. And I wanted to be healed because it was Friday and Sunday was coming and I wanted to be here to preach. However, despite my earnest prayers, I didn't get healed. God's answer was no. On Saturday, when I realized that I was down for the count, I called Rob Carney, our associate minister, and asked him to step in on short notice. And here's a very interesting part of the story. Normally, when Rob preaches, we schedule that weeks in advance. He has time to think and plan and pray and prepare and write a brand new message for us. But in this case, he didn't have time. So he prayed. He went back to his files. And God led him to a message on hope. A message that he had preached more than a decade ago. And he had a sense that this message was one we needed to hear again. So he tweaked it, he freshened it up, and he shared that last Sunday. I listened to it on Monday. And I was moved to tears. It was a very vulnerable message where Rob shared some of his own painful journey And he wanted to remind us that God can meet us in moments of despair and give us hope. And if you weren't here like I wasn't here, go to the Gardenway website and listen to the audio podcast or go to the Gardenway Church YouTube channel and watch the video of that message. But here's the point. God wanted us to hear that message. Yet it wouldn't have happened if Rob had been scheduled to preach far in advance. It only happened because I got sick late in the week. And it only happened because God said no to my prayer for healing. Our great God thought it was important enough to keep me in bed for three days. To ensure that this message was presented to us. He thought that my discomfort was a small price to pay in his plans. And it was a great reminder to me that I need to trust God when he answers no to one of my prayers. It's a reminder that God sometimes says no and sometimes says you to me because it's not just about us. Sometimes he says no to us because he's working on bigger issues that affect other people. And when we're able to grasp this, then we can recognize that the kingdom of God does not revolve around us. 
And when we get that, it changes the way that we approach God. This was an issue that Jesus addressed repeatedly throughout his ministry. He wanted people to have a proper understanding of themselves so they would approach God in an appropriate way. And that's the issue we're going to see Jesus address in our Bible passage this morning. We're going to listen as he tells a parable, a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. He tells this parable to shock his audience. And he tells this parable because he wants them to wrestle with a vital question. An intensely personal question. How do I approach God? Now parables are designed to be heard. So if you have your Bible already open, I don't want you to look at it. We're not going to put the Bible passage on the screen for you yet. I'd like us all to listen as we hear this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector from the book of Luke. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. We've heard the parable. Now let's zero in on some of the details. To grasp the essence of what Jesus wants people to understand, we need to understand how each of these two men view themselves. And then we need to understand how that view of themselves shapes the way that they approach God. So let's look first at the Pharisee in verse 11. I need to apologize. There's a typo on the slide. It says chapter 8 of Luke. We're actually in chapter 18. Now as we read about this prayer from the Pharisee, we need to understand that in the culture of the first century Middle East, among the Jewish people, a Pharisee was considered a model man. He was the good guy. He was the guy who's really right with God. Pharisee is the guy who serves as the spiritual example to everyone else. And so this Pharisee is good, and he's good, and he knows that he's good, particularly when compared to everybody else. And that view of himself dramatically shapes the way that he approaches God. And we see it here in verse 11 in the opening part of his prayer. He's not really talking to God, he's talking at God. His attention 
is on other people. And what he wants God to know is this. I'm better than them. Now let's think about that for a minute. Do you ever do that? Do you ever evaluate yourself in comparison to other people? It's a pretty common human problem. It's very tempting to do that. We can do it with our jobs and careers. We can do it with money and possessions. And we even can do it in the spiritual arena of life. And I hate to say it, but I fell into this trap many years ago. I began to evaluate everything, my work and my finances and my spirituality, by comparing myself to a friend. It happened when I graduated from college. A good friend of mine and I, we both went into business. We both landed jobs with Fortune 500 companies. We both were in marketing. And we found ourselves moving up the corporate ladder at about the same pace. However, I worked in Los Angeles, and he worked in the Midwest where the cost of living was much lower. And as a result, he had a lot more discretionary income, even though our salaries were about the same. He had a lot more money he could spend on stuff, a lot more money he could spend on entertainment than I did. And I was jealous. And to make matters worse, he was a believer, but he wasn't nearly as committed to God as I was. I was way more spiritual than he was, and I had the evidence to prove it to God. And so I would come to God in prayer, and I would remind God of just how good I was. And then I would complain about the fact that I wasn't getting the material blessings I wanted in response. You see, my attitude really wasn't very different than the attitude of this Pharisee that Jesus describes in his parable. I was evaluating myself based on another person, and it distorted the way that I approached God. Thankfully, I finally realized that my focus was wrong. I realized that I needed an attitude adjustment. And instead of comparing myself to my friend, I simply needed to ask this question. Am I faithfully living the life that God wants me to live? And once I grasped this, I started to pray differently. I stopped complaining. I stopped worrying about other people. Instead, I simply asked God to help me deal with myself. What's really sad is that the Pharisee in this story never does that. He never uses this prayer as an opportunity for some self-examination and for some confession. He just uses this prayer as an attempt to try to impress God. And now that he's boasted about he's so much better than others, he goes on to boast about how great he is. And we see that in the next part of his prayer in verse 12. Now, the Pharisees already mentioned how he avoids bad behavior. He's not like murderers and adulterers or robbers or, you know, a bunch of other things. Those are the bad things that he avoids. And now he's bragging about his good behavior. He fasts. He tithes. He wants God to know that when it comes to the spiritual stuff, he's better than good. He's great. And he's great because he goes beyond what God actually requires. 
You see, when God, when God gave his law to the Jewish people, he established one mandatory day for fasting. It was the annual day of atonement when the Israelites would confess their sins and they would receive God's forgiveness. They might fast at other times, but the day of atonement was the only requirement. And the Jews made one critical mistake. They added to what God asked of them. They said that to be really spiritual, fasting once a year wasn't enough. You needed to fast twice a week. And if you didn't do that, you were falling short. This is so very human. Every generation of Christians seems to do this same thing. We add to what God asks of us. They battled it in the early church. In the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes to their church and he says, you know, in your church, some of you, some of you believe that to be really spiritual, you need to avoid eating certain kinds of meat and only eat vegetables. Or to be really spiritual, you need to celebrate or not celebrate certain holidays. And I know of churches today that try to regulate what Christians eat and drink and even how they dress. My favorite sad example was the church that wanted to regulate the color of shoes that women would wear to church. You see, it's a perpetual temptation to try to impose spirituality by insisting on certain rules of behavior. But this approach always misses the mark because it doesn't touch the heart. It distorts the way we understand ourselves and it distorts the way that we approach our God. And that's the mistake this Pharisee makes. He's not focused on his own connection with God. He's focused on his outward behavior. And he wants everyone to know that his behavior is right and theirs is wrong. And we see the reality of this when we understand how the Pharisees actually practiced their twice weekly fasts. It wasn't just that they had to do it twice a week. They had to do it on Mondays and Thursdays. And those days were picked because they were market days in Jerusalem when everybody came to town to shop. And on those days, the Pharisees would whiten their faces to make themselves look all pasty. They would wear disheveled clothes. And they'd walk around town with downcast expressions, maybe holding their stomach to show everyone how much they were suffering for God. They took something beautiful, like fasting. And they had a completely distorted attitude about it. And this Pharisee in the parable, he has that same distorted attitude toward his financial giving. Under God's law, the Jews are expected to contribute 10% of what they produce. That means that income from other sources, such as maybe an inheritance or a financial gift, that was considered to be exempt. And this Pharisee ignores the exemptions and he gives 10% of everything. Now, is that bad? No, it's good. Except that he's doing this very good thing for a very wrong reason. This Pharisee is not living a life of spiritual faith. He's living a life of religious pride. 
Because of pride in his religious performance, he assumes he is righteous. Because of pride, he has no sense of his own unworthiness before God. He has no sense of his need for forgiveness and therefore no sense of God's grace. His entire life is a religious performance designed to impress God and other people. It's almost as if this Pharisee is saying, God, aren't you lucky to have me? He has a horribly distorted view of himself. And it results in a horribly inappropriate way to approach God. And it is so tragic that this man who wants to know God has actually missed the heart of God. He needs an attitude adjustment, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't realize it. And based on what we know about the first century culture and the people that Jesus is talking to, as Jesus is telling this parable, as he gets to this point, the people listening to Jesus wouldn't get it yet either. They would simply think that Jesus has accurately described a man who serves as their religious role model. Of course this guy has a right to boast. He's righteous. He's good. So Jesus has to go further. Provide some additional teaching to challenge how they think. And he continues the story by contrasting this typical Pharisee with a typical tax collector in verse 13. Now as we look at this prayer of the tax collector, we need to realize that this kind of man is on one of the lowest rungs of the social ladder and religious ladder within Jewish society. He's in a profession that is noted for its dishonesty and for financial manipulation. And he's viewed as a traitor to Israel because his profession supports the hated Roman Empire. This tax collector is the kind of man that the Jews love to hate. And so as Jesus, in this story, gives the tax collector's prayer, I believe the people listening to Jesus would categorically agree with the way Jesus has this man pray. Of course a man like this should approach God with his eyes downcast. Of course he should beg for mercy. He needs God's mercy because he's such a deplorable sinner. And he's so much worse than the Pharisee. But here's what Jesus wants us to see. This man is aware, very aware of his own failings. He's aware that God owes him nothing. He sees his spiritual need. And yet rather than run from God, he comes to God. And that's not always the case. Quite often when people recognize that they fall short of God, that's when they ignore him or run hard and fast away from God. And this man does not. He comes into the presence of God and he prays. And furthermore, he doesn't, he doesn't try to measure his own spirituality, either good or bad, by comparing himself to others. And this becomes even more clear when we look at the original Greek text of, of verse 13. The tax collector does not call himself a sinner. He calls himself the sinner. You see, he's not saying, oh, I'm a sinner like other people are sinners. He's saying, I'm the sinner. 
And in this moment, as he stands before God and as he prays to God, what's happening with other people is irrelevant. In this moment, it's just him and God. God is the righteous one. And he's the sinner. And he asks for forgiveness because he knows that even on his best day, he will in some way fall short of the goodness and the greatness of God. And he knows that this great God can extend his mercy to the sinner who sincerely repents. And that same thing is true for each of us. Because we're all sinners who need God's mercy. And what I love about this tax collector is he's not coming to God to report on his good behavior. He is coming into the presence of God to be changed. And that ought to motivate us in how we approach God. Once again, though, as this parable proceeds, as Jesus continues to tell the story, I don't think his audience would get it yet. Because in their view, they have been conditioned to believe that the Pharisee is right with God and the tax collector is not. And so Jesus describes these prayers and I think the people in that audience would be nodding their head going, yep, yep, that's right, I get it. That's how the Pharisee should pray. That's how the tax collector should pray. And then Jesus gets to his final comment. And that's the wake-up call. It's in Jesus' final comment that he shocks them. That's when he challenges them to adjust their attitude. That's where he invites them to think differently about themselves and to think differently about how they approach God. Everything in this parable is pointing toward this very succinct comment by Jesus in verse 14. And as Jesus makes this comment, I think his audience would be shocked that he doesn't praise the Pharisee. Jesus, amazingly to them, says that it's the unrighteous, sinful tax collector who goes away justified. It's the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who receives God's mercy and forgiveness. And the self-righteous, prideful Pharisee can't receive forgiveness because he never asks for it. He doesn't think he needs it because he sees no sin in his life. And so we see here a stark difference between these two men. The Pharisee thinks, I'm great. The tax collector knows God is great. As I think about this prototypical Pharisee here in the parable, and there were so many men who were really like this, we see a tragedy that's unfolding. I mean, this man takes the time to go to the temple. He takes the time to pray. He's there where he could be in the presence of God. And yet when he leaves, he is no closer to God than he was before he ever went. His time and effort are wasted. His prayer is futile because he misunderstands himself. He misunderstands God. And therefore, his approach to God is completely wrong. And he wants to impress God. When in actuality, he, like the tax collector, needs to come into the presence of God and evaluate his own life and ask God for mercy in any area where he falls short. And if he examines himself, he will find such areas, as we all will. 
And when Jesus states here that the tax collector is the one who is actually righteous, I think his audience would gasp. They would gasp because he's just challenged them to engage in a major attitude adjustment. He is telling them God is not impressed by your accomplishments. He just wants you to approach him with some sincere humility. Jesus has told a very simple story. And he's finished it with a punchline that has some punch. Because he does want to shock people. He wants to get their attention and he wants every person listening to him to wrestle with that vital question. How do I approach God? And clearly this story that Jesus tells is for every generation of believers because it's preserved for us here in the Bible. And that means that we need to wrestle with it as well. And as we do, we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about the fact that pride so often gets in our way. That was the Pharisee's problem. And pride can infect us like it infected him. Pride can distort our view of ourselves and our view of God. Pride can cause us to approach God with wrong attitudes and wrong motives. And pride can cause us to act like the Pharisee and turn away from people who are far from God and even look down on them. Oh, they're sinners. And we're so much better than they are. I think with a proper understanding of God, this Pharisee would have understood that he and the tax collectors in a moment like this are spiritual equals. Both of them sinners who need God's mercy. And if he understood that, he wouldn't have distanced himself from people like the tax collector. In fact, with an attitude adjustment, he even could have followed the example of Jesus himself and actually spent time with such people. He could have cultivated a relationship with the tax collector to help him become closer to God. And yet, how can you do that when you yourself aren't actually close to God? You can't be close to God when all you focus on is your outward performance. You can't be close to God unless you approach him with some humility and ask him to help you change. And the Pharisee missed it. And the tax collector got it. Jesus wanted the people listening to this parable to experience a major attitude adjustment, to think differently about who they would choose as their spiritual role models. Now, the lifestyle of this tax collector was not something to be copied. But his humble approach to God was and is an example for everyone. Because every one of us, no matter how good we may think we are, every one of us is a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. So how do we respond to this teaching from Jesus? I think we need to let it challenge us the way I believe it challenged his original audience. We need to let Jesus challenge us so we can move away from any complacency that we might have about ourselves and our connection with God. We need to let Jesus challenge us to make any necessary attitude adjustments. 
And whether we may think we're doing well spiritually or not doing well spiritually, we need to make the choice not to boast to God nor run from God. We need to avoid the temptation to look down on others. And we need to just avoid the temptation to compare ourselves to others at all. And ultimately, I believe we need to see that there is an amazing, incredible invitation here from Jesus for us. He tells us that if we come to God sincerely and humbly, if we're honest with him about areas where we fall short, then God will extend his mercy to us. He will forgive us. That's the invitation. The question is, how will we respond? I can suggest several ways. Maybe as you've listened to this story from Jesus, the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart and letting you know that pride is an issue for you. Or maybe there's some issue in your life, some repetitive sin that is really pulling you down. You need to pray. And if so, I'd like to invite you to head over to the prayer corner after the service. We'll have an elder or two there and they will pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. Maybe you just need some time to pray alone. If so, just come down and sit down on the front row of the benches here and just take some time to pray. Approach God following the example of the tax collector. Ask him for his mercy. Let God give you a fresh start. And it just might be that you've never taken that very first step of faith. You don't really know what it's like to experience the merciful forgiveness of God. And if that's the case, then here's my invitation. I'll be out in the lobby, come up and say, hey, I want to talk about how I can get connected to God. And we'll go find a private place to talk, and you can get a fresh start with Jesus today. The bottom line is this. We cannot let let pride trip us up like it did the Pharisee. Instead, we need to approach God the way the tax collector did, humbly, trusting in the promise of Jesus. As he says here, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He will lift us up. He will give us a fresh start. All it takes is to approach God with some humility.